Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, November 14th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have featured more than 135 poets from 16 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate either via PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Nazila Jameson, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Alchemy, and my poem, Steps. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Nazila Jameson. Hi, Nazila. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, Imogen. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. You brought with your your poem, Alchemy. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. <laughs> so I am a poet and MC. I MC a lot of shows, mostly poetry shows. Um, oh, cool. I used to run the Oakland Poetry Slam. Oh, nice. For about a decade and kind of did Poetry Slam for about 20 years. Oh, wow. And I published my first book of poetry mm. in 2016 mm-hmm. um, Evolutionary Heart which is on Nomadic Press. Mm-hmm. I've been writing pretty much all my life, but mm-hmm. I only, the second half of my life, I guess, really became an official poet, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've been a performer all my life. So mm-hmm. um, I came out to California as a musician and okay. toured for a couple of years. I've been an actor my whole life. Right now I'm actually beginning a career in voice acting. Nice. Um, I'm planning to launch my comedy or relaunch my stand-up comedy career again as soon as things open up and I can actually, like, hit a stage. Mm. So, yes, I do way too many things. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a a variety of I've written a couple of screenplays. I'm just doing lots of things, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice, though, in a way, right, because you're, you're diversified, professionally speaking. Okay, let's go with that. Yeah, it's a diversified <laughs> portfolio. Is that like another another word for ADHD? I like it. <laughs> that no, works no. for me. <laughs> it's actually an investment term. Like you, if you ever had a 401k and they always tell you to like diversify your investments, don't invest in the same kind of stocks and bonds and whatnot so that, you know, if one area of the market crashes, the other things will automatically lose value as well. Great. Well, then, (laughs) yes, I'm I'm diversified. (laughs) So that. I like that. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) So you talked about um, having written all of your life and... Only uh, in the second half of your life have you officially become a poet. But do you remember the first poem you wrote and when that was? I don't remember the poem itself. Mm. 
I was a very altruistic child. And so hmm. um, I, I wrote my first poem in, in fourth grade. Oh, wow. I was eight years old. Hmm. And I forget what poetry we read. Mm-hmm. But then there was an actual poetry contest and I won. <laughs> nice. Very nice. And it was the first poem I'd ever written. Okay. Um, I kind of actually started writing from there. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. I'm surprised you don't have it or somebody in your family doesn't have a frame somewhere. Um, I moved around a lot and there was a lot of dysfunction. So many things were lost. <laughs> right. But, right. Um, I never lost like the joy of writing poetry or the joy of poetry. That's good. Um, I always loved poetry. I didn't realize till I became an adult, but my first poet was Lucille Clifton mm, mm. because my grown sister raised me like the majority of my childhood. Mm. And she was, you know, black nationalist type, you know, revolutionary type deal. So I got books by black authors and black baby dolls and all that. And Lucille right. Clifton wrote a series of children's books. Oh, wow. And one of my first books as a child was, I think it was called Someday in the Life of Everett Anderson mm-hmm. by Lucille Clifton. <laughs> so um, I started reading poetry really early too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that always helps, right? It's sort of ingrained then. Yeah. Yeah, I've met a lot of people, especially in SLAM, who like, didn't really discover a love of poetry or an appreciation or start writing it until they were like in high school or once they were grown or when they came to slam. But that wasn't my experience. Mm. I started out really like that was probably the first consistent art that I did Mm. was poetry. Mm. Yeah. I've encountered many poets who usually they have their first encounter with poetry in, in school. Right. And they, just really got turned off by what they were reading. And then they come back Uh to it through different means, sometimes through music, sometimes through hip hop. Um, Right. It just depends. It's somewhat random. And sometimes, you know, they they take their requisite English class at school and then they get turned on to modern day poetry. And and they're like, oh my God, this is possible. And then, or spoken word, extracurricular clubs, something like that in high school. So all kinds of different ways that people get into it. Yeah, and I guess unlike a lot of people I know too, my first, like the first poetry that I loved that I was exposed to was the classics. Mm. So like, you know, I love Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love Robert Frost and like Shakespeare. I was really into Shakespearean poetry. Mm. And like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe has written poetry. I was totally into that. Like I loved... The poetic form, mm-hmm. and I like those old fogey style languages. <laughs> old fogey, and style. so well, you know, because it's like the the bard. You know, Shakespeare yeah. was mostly in bard, and like a lot of classic poets with their these and thous, and you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like you. There's a bunch of poets who just really that it just resonates, right? We never know what we resonate with until we come across it, and yep. Yeah, and and the Shakespearean sonnets, it's it's definitely their worst of art. Obviously, it's nice to see 
also a variety, right? To just see uh-huh. what the the sheer spectrum and that poetry comes in uh-huh. is really amazing. I mean, do you find that because slam is such a different space? It is. It's a very different space. Yeah. Yeah, I love written poetry. Like, I read so much. My favorite author is actually, one of my favorite authors is E.E. Cummings. Mm. And slam is interesting because slam and just the way slam poetry is written. Like, I I was on teams, I coached teams, and I, I produced a show. And the approach is different for different poets. So some people write slam poetry. Mm-hmm. They write specifically, like, this poem is meant to be performed. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, but I often find that once it's on paper, <laughs> you know what I mean, and you're just reading it mm-hmm. in your mind, mm-hmm. it's not really very poetic. Mm-hmm. It's very performative, and it's very accessible, right. but it's not necessarily poetic. I'm not, like, you know, one of those strict people that's just, like, you know, with the I am and, and mm-hmm. you know, meter and, like, form and all that stuff. Right. But I kind of am, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Right, and right. I just find that not even so much spoken word. Spoken word, just regular spoken word, like open mic poetry, tends to be a little more poetic because people mm-hmm. write it and then they bring it to read. Mm-hmm. But I find a lot of times with slam, because of the scores and because of, like, you know, the need for audience appreciation of what you're doing on stage Mm -hmm. people write for performance Mm -hmm. they don't write for writing right so they don't end up necessarily writing poems they write monologues Mm -hmm. and stand-up routines and all of that Mm -hmm. but they fit it into three minutes and maybe they throw in a couple of rhymes and a punchline and it's a poem Mm -hmm. and it's not a poem (laughs) <laughs> I heard somebody say at a slam one time, they're like, everything is poetry. I'm like, no, it's not. People study that. You know what I'm saying? People take it in college and get their master's degree. And like, you know, we have classics that kids learn in school. Like everything is not poetry. <laughs> it's an insult. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely encounter both people who really want like the strictures of poetry, especially classical poetry, um, uh-huh. Western classical poetry. And then there are ones who are like, it is a poem because it is, you know, they have a different set of terms for why it's poetry. Right. And again, I, I really enjoy seeing that. It's like going to an incredible buffet and just like, you better make sure your pants is elastic. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> or has elastic bands <laughs> and, and it's just a while to see all of the available possibilities um uh-huh. and i think now is probably a good time for you to read your poem alchemy for us and give us a taste of your poetry okay um so this is alchemy and when he breaks you this time like a brittle riding crop across the back of a wild, old, beaten horse. Pick up the pieces of your liberty and run. When he shatters the transparent, fragile parts of you, which make you open to love and beautiful tragedy, toss the shards high into the air of your darkest night and call them stars. 
when he dashes your hopes into splinters. Sweep them into a pile. Pretend they are feathers and glue them to your back. When he fractures your essential boundaries and devotion, mosaic your heart into an exquisitely compelling living sculpture. And when he breaks you, again, this one last time, realize you are whole even when broken. You are a perfect jigsaw puzzle, not a pretty frame destructible picture. Gather and recreate yourself defiantly new. Wow, thank you. Oh, I have chills. Ooh. Thank you. When did you write this? About, I want to say, five years ago. Okay. Ooh. It's both wonderful just as a piece of work and accomplishment, but also devastating that it is still so relevant. Um, yeah. I went through, well, I was married hmm. for almost, I was with him for almost a decade, married for seven years officially. Hmm. And <laughs> breaking up is hard to do. But also, <laughs> it was a situation, I spent a lifetime leaving people. Right. It's a skill I learned as a child, just like, my solution to uncomfortable <clears throat> or difficult situations was to leave. Because mm. mm. that's what I knew what to do. That's what my sister did. Mm. And so that's what I grew up knowing how to do. Mm. And almost all of my relationships before my ex-husband, I was like, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is so oppressive. I'm out. It was more like, oh. I can see from that one sentence how you're going to be. I'm out. You know what I mean? And I like, and never had a problem leaving. I've never been one of them people that's just like holding on to the door. Like, no, no, I don't want to leave. Or enduring a bunch of, you know, dumb stuff because mm. I can't leave. Like I am a lever. That's my natural ability is mm. to like jet when necessary. And when I got married, I decided to practice staying because mm -hmm. it's marriage, right? right? It's for better or for worse. And so that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stay through the hard times and hopefully see them through. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up in is a relationship in which, and you know, it wasn't physically abusive. It turned out to be rather emotionally and verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. But I stayed way too long. Right. Because I had just trying to stay. I'm just like, word, I'm going to learn how to stay. This is what you do. You like go through the thing. And even though everything in me, hella times was like, you should get out. Mm -hmm. I stayed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the end, it felt like he was deliberately trying to break me. Like I would mm -hmm. wake up in mornings. I wake up happy. Like that's just my natural before before I'm fully awake and reality rushes in, mm -hmm. I'm happy. Like, I wake up feeling fine. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like, everything you have to do and everything you're going through sort of rushes on you. You're like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I have all these things. But I wake up light and happy, and I would wake up. I remember one specific day I woke up, and I was just, you know, beautiful day. I'm like, ah, had a day off. We're at home together, and I'm like, ah, huh, awesome. And it started from coffee. 
Mm. <laughs> like it just started from coffee. He kept saying mean stuff to me. Mm. And like, you know, outside of things, a lot of times things don't sound that bad. Like random example, like, you know, oh, what time is it? You got eyes, don't you? You can look at the clock, like stuff like that mm. <laughs> all day. Mm. And every time I was like, oh, I'm fine. I don't care. I brushed it off and I was like, happy anyway, happy anyway, happy anyway. And then it was just a pylon. And finally I like broke and I was like in tears and then he stopped and ignored me for the rest of the day because his job there was done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that this poem came out of that. And, you know, I've been divorced for like eight years now, mm-hmm. but for a while, for like several years after, like things keep coming up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Things keep coming up, like things that remind you of experiences, mm-hmm. things that would trigger the memory of the experience. And I'd write about it. And so that's what this came out of. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a poem I wrote to past me. Like, you know, he keeps trying to break you and you can either be broken or you can like transform that breaking into something, you know, you can make that breaking into something beautiful. Right, right. Oh, God. It's, uh, there's just so much, so much pain in this, but also so much hope and so much, you know, encouragement as well. I wanted to ask you just since the first time you read this, was it deliberate, this structure of you know, acknowledging the pain, but also saying, here's what you can do to make yourself whole again. Yes. And actually, even more than that, like it kind of comes to the last few lines of it, where even when you're broken, you're still the same. Mm. You didn't transform into something pitiful. You Mm. didn't like die you know what I mean you didn't Mm -hmm. go away you're still yourself you're just in a different form Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily take away from your beauty and strength it's just a different form Mm -hmm. so then you take that different form and decide that it's still you beautiful you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I feel like life is all about perspective like it really is Mm -hmm. You know, there's the difference between something happening to you or you going through something. Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. You know, people use victim and survivor. Like, I feel like it's really about the perspective because, you know, life comes at you fast. Mm -hmm. And it's not like just because you had a traumatic experience, you're not going to have 10 more traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. But it's about how you decide to look at it and process it, and get through it. Mm. And that's actually what saved me in the end, Mm. is that I had some experiences at the end of my marriage that changed my whole perspective on my ability to, like, because, to be quite honest, like, for the last, I would say, year and a half Mm -hmm. of my marriage, I was resigned, Like, I basically, I would watch romantic movies on TV, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
and you know people would be in love and they kiss and they'd be so gentle and tender and loving but you know we, we all know that's that's hollywood they ain't necessarily reality mm -hmm. but i would look at that and i would be like well that's just not what i get mm -hmm. i have this so i'll just have to deal with what i get like i didn't even have aspirations for anything different because i had resigned myself to this is what i get mm -hmm. this is just how my life is mm -hmm. which is a place that i never was before i got married mm -hmm. like Throughout my life, I have been changing my life. Like, I am not the one to sit. Like I said, I'm a lever. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a, a uncomfortable situation for too long, which is a really short period of time, I'm out. I'm just like, oh, I got to change this. This isn't going to work. But mm -hmm. I lost my ability to transform myself. Mm -hmm. Like, it got buried somewhere in trying to make it work with somebody I couldn't make it work with. Right, right. And um, at some point, I was in a play with a different group of people giving me a different kind of energy. And it pulled me out of my, like, complacency mm. and made me remember the girl I was before all that. Mm. And I remember there was one day I went home and, you know, because I go to this play and everybody there would be like, oh, you're awesome. And, you know, you're so funny and you're so talented. We like you so much. And I would go home. Literally, half an hour later, I'd walk in my door to, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. You should have done this and you should have done that. Mm. And <laughs> the contrast made me remember. Like the contrast woke me up and I was like, you know what, though? I am actually all of these other things. I am not what you're telling me I am. You don't get to define me. Mm. And I don't even like this. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't have to be here. And right. that was like the domino started rolling and shortly after that it was over. Right, right. Yeah, it's really difficult. I think people who have not experienced this sort of like abusive relationships, right, especially ones that last a long time, I don't think they understand that it's not a cliff, that it is a ramp. Very, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very mild sloping, mostly mild sloping ramp. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, boiling a frog kind of thing. So you always get the questions at the end, right? They're like, oh, my God, how could you stay with somebody like that for 10 years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well they don't start out that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think there's a person in this world who an asshole walked up to and was like, Hey, girl, come here. Let me treat you like shit for a while, and you'll just stay and take it. You're like, oh, my God, where are we going? I love you. <laughs> like, nobody does that. You know what right. I mean? Right. They always start out looking like one thing. Mm -hmm. And then, it, like you said, it's a ramp. It's a really gradual decline. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're in the abyss, and you're like, wait, how did we get here? Yeah. I, I don't remember doing this. Because it's... <laughs> But you're in it now. You're like, well, crap. Now I'm here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I got to figure out, you know, if you and if you don't, like it's so gradual. If you don't sort of realize how you got there, <laughs> it becomes a little complicated trying to figure out how to get back. Yeah, it really does. Because you, again, because the outside there are so many people who ask so many questions rather than just let me help you first and then see then you know when everything's okay maybe ask you questions it's more like 
Let me ask you a gazillion questions while you are so exhausted, beaten, so fragile. And let me see if your answers live up to my expectations, and then、yep. maybe I'll help you. Maybe. And like my experience with marriage was so. <laughs> I found it hilarious after I didn't find it hilarious,、mm-hmm. but once I broke up, like all the people were like, "Oh my god, you know, I never really liked him for you anyway." Like I'm so glad because I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And I'm like, and you didn't say word. <laughs>、mm-hmm. yep. You didn't say anything. You just sort of watched it implode. Didn't mention nothing. You know what I mean?、Yeah. I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Oh well, I mean, you know, I thought you had it, and it's like right. But clearly, if you saw me looking miserable and you kind of was worried about me, you know what I mean? Like,、mm-hmm. and you just kind of just let that play, and then afterwards, everybody's, oh, I'm so glad you did that.、And、I'm like, great. Me too. Would have been helpful if, like, you know, <laughs> you pulled a girl aside, maybe, and was just like, "Hey, let me give you some outside perspective." But nope, nobody does that. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but so- it's cool because it was my relationship. You know what I mean? Like,、yeah. ultimately, like you're the only person that can save yourself. So yeah, yeah. Because I've I've looked back into my relationships where I was like, "Oh my god, why? Why did I do that?" And I realized that there were friends who were warning me, but you know they they only go so far, right? Because again, they in a way they're respecting your choice. Yep. Yep. At the same time, yeah. If nobody nobody bothered, if I look back and everybody was like nothing, and then suddenly when I break up, then everybody is like, oh yeah, we hate him. Then I'd be、right. like really pissed about it. I'd be like, ah.、Uh, Whose friend were you? You know, are you actually were you? Because I don't want to be your friend anymore. I think the other thing that we don't always realize with relationships, especially like,、um, you know, I've been seeing somebody for a while now who's、mm-hmm. not actually a part of my community,、mm-hmm. like you know what I mean, my daily community. Right. And it's a little easier to do things independently.、Mm-hmm. When a person isn't actually in your like, it, it's a lot less pressure on a relationship when your relationship isn't the center of a community,、yeah. right? So, like, you know, me and my ex husband like ran a poetry slam together,、oh, and God was, you know what I mean? So then,、yeah. like, there's this whole community that's sort of invested in your relationship, right? Right, and there are, there are other interests involved. Right. Exactly.、Yeah. So then it's like you know, when you break up, you're not just considering yourselves in this selfish little thing. It's just like all these people who. I mean, I felt the same way when like there were couples that I've known for years, and all of a sudden, like I hear that they broke up, and it's not an all of a sudden thing. We know that. Like、mm-hmm. it's always something that's been playing on, on in the background for a while, but you don't know because you're not in a relationship.、Yeah. But it was couples that like I saw as solid. I'm just like, yep, they're like I've not seen a couple so compatible and solid. And then you hear that they like totally get divorced and like split corners, and it's like, wow, that's like it kind of 
breaks your world a little bit because that's yeah. this solid thing that you were dependent, like not dependent on like you needed it, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. the sun comes up, the moon goes down, like those people are together. That's just how it is. And then they break <laughs> up and you're like, wait, everything, what is going on in the world right now? Like yeah. I can't wrap my, you know, and it makes you think about yourself because you're like, well, can I even have a relationship? Because I thought y'all were solid <laughs> Come to find out you're not. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, so, yeah, yeah, yeah so bit of, bit of pressure, but. Yeah, it, it's unfair, right? Because of, you think of a relationship as something private, but it's only private in part, especially, yeah. you know, as you said, you know, in, in your dynamic that, you know, you build a community together as well, so. And there are just so many different elements that come into it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, why it's a really brave thing to bring your relationship into your community. Yeah. Because, you know, once you bring anything into your circle of friends and love, then it's a part of them too. And so whatever happens with it is going to affect them. And yeah. that makes me really understand why, like, when I was younger and I had my little group of friends, a lot of boys, like, there were just certain girls they wouldn't even show up with. Like, we'd hear about them a little bit, but they wouldn't bring them. And we'd be like, I'm going to meet her. How come you nev- we never even seen her? Is she a figment of your imagination? They're like, nah, nah. Because then they'd end up breaking up with her. Mm-hmm. But you don't know her, so you don't care. You know what I mean? You're just right. like, well, you know, she was just somebody that belonged to you. But once you bring people into the love in your life, well, then those people start to love them. Yeah. And so, you know, now they're a part of their life and anything you do with them is going to affect everyone. So. Right, right. I mean, that's why abusers like to isolate people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They know what they're doing. They know. It's very predatory uh, in some ways. Even if it's unconscious, it's still deliberate. Ironically, the most successful relationships, like long-term relationships, are are the ones where, like, you have a community that supports this relationship. Mm-mm. Because the other part of an abuser is, well, people are only going to get their side of things. Right, exactly. And people are only going to care about their side of things because they don't know you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's so you can sad. tell whatever story you want, and people are like, oh, my God. Well, what you did must be justified because she sounds, you know what I mean? But they don't right. know because they don't know you. Right. Well, I think even the abuser's like community group, friend group is curated, right? You know, they don't just abuse the spouse or the partner. They also abuse their community. They curate their community to make sure right. that they're surrounded by those who are like-minded or are accepting mm-hmm. of whatever they have to say. So it's, I feel like it's very much a 360. It's, um, what do you call that? A microcosm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, like when I pick my poem to send you, I felt like, yeah, I don't have the positives. This is all just like the down ramp. This is all <laughs> down ramp, man. <laughs> so I'm going to read that. We'll we'll talk about it. Okay. So it's called Steps. 
spoon me, I mean fork me, I mean knife me, I mean serray me, I mean hurt me, I mean you will, I mean I can tell, I mean I still stay, I mean I take my chance, I mean I disappear, I mean... I love this poem. Thank you. <laughs> I love it because it's, it's, it resonated with me a lot because that was my trajectory. Mm. <laughs> my trajectory was, you know, this is what comes to, and when, for me anyway, when you, you don't have healthy relationship examples. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a lot of times, this is what it was. It was just like, oh, you're loving me? Okay. Up, oh, you stuck me a little. Okay. Okay. Up, oh, you knifed me. I'll take that too. Okay. You, okay. You serrated me. Oh, oh shit. I didn't protect myself. And then I left. <laughs> like yeah. that was my way of dealing with things. Exactly mm -hmm. your poem. It was like, I will let you do all the things to me and I'll take it all. And then when I can't take any more, I'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. In this particular poem, right, I actually have a different version of this poem. This is the original, which everybody seemed to resonate with more. In the other version, because I, I realized reading it later on after I, I wrote it, that the I disappear could have different meanings. Like for you, you know, you, you took it as they left. For me, when I was reading it, I thought, Oh my God, something happened. Something horrible happened. And so I, I had written a second version where I put like two more steps uh -huh. where the uh, sort of the bystanders come in, in a way. Also short lines, but, you know, where basically they didn't really believe and they didn't really do anything. Because I didn't... I didn't want my poem to appear like it was victim-blaming. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had thought that this original version had, could be taken as that, and I really didn't want it to come across as that. I don't think it comes... I mean, again, like, you know, each person interprets a poem, you know, the way they see it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, for me... I'm accustomed to being a lever. Mm -hmm. I have learned, obviously, healthier relationship ways, you know, and it's, it's all trial and error. Mm -hmm. Like, you yeah. know, end up, but I've gotten to the place now where <laughs> I realize that actually communicating is a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I do get to say, like, Al, you're hurting me. Can you stop that? And when I've done that, the healthy person that I've been involved with goes, Oh, yeah, my bad. Mm. And I realized that when you tell people and set boundaries and actually say what hurts you, they respond to that. And then you don't have to leave. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, yeah. I think, but, like you said, it takes trial and error, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because a lot of, depending on our primary relationships and whatnot, sometimes it's also... You know, for me, I've had primary relationships where it's, you say, ouch, and they're like, eh, <laughs> I don't think you should be saying ouch. Why don't right. you stop saying ouch? Here, let me push you. Let me, let me stab you a little bit more. 
<laughs> so, yeah, and that's problematic too. Yeah. And I think that that sort of, I am not a victim blamer. Mm-hmm. Like I try to, to be very careful, you know, in communication with victim blaming. But mm-hmm. I also believe in empowerment mm-hmm. and responsibility for oneself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, part of it is obviously dysfunctional because I've done a lot of things on my own I didn't necessarily have to do mm-hmm. <laughs> because I refused to reach out for any help because I was just like, no, I'm going to get through this dumb thing that I don't know how to do on my own because <laughs> reasons, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> just reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe there's also a lot to be said. Like when I try to support my friends through things, including difficult relationships, I try to be less of a hero savior mm-hmm. and more of a wingman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, I had a friend who actually experienced heinous physical abuse. Mm-hmm. Only a couple times, you know what I mean, right? But the first time he beat her up, she came to our house and she was just like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, You know, brought her cat and was like, I'm not staying there. That's whack. I'm not doing that. And then... The next day he called and he apologized and he had flowers and stuff. And I got up in the morning, she was packing. I was like, where are you going? She's like, oh, he apologized. I'm going back. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And the friends, like we all had a meeting about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we actually had a meeting about it. Mm -hmm. It was just like all these ideas tossed around. And one of my friends, who's a lover, I love her. She was mad. She was like, we need to go down there with a bunch of big dudes and threaten him, tell him to leave our friend alone. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. But in that situation, I had to trust her. Mm-hmm. And I, I told, like, my reasons were, you know, I told her, I was just like, first of all, I don't want to do something that's going to make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. And if she's not leaving, he's going to blame her for us showing up and mm-hmm. threatening him. You know what I mean? Because we're not that intimidating when we're not around. (laughs) And the second thing is, I don't want her to be so mad at me she won't talk to me about it anymore. Mm. Because I would rather be available for her to communicate it to me Mm. and do some dumb stuff in her her relationship Mm. that she doesn't want and Mm. then have her just not tell me anymore. (laughs) You Mm. know what I mean? Because that's a way more dangerous situation right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my kind of option was just to be there for her and just make sure we were in constant communication Mm -hmm. and you know gently like give her my opinion of the situation but more importantly be there for her so that when she was ready to like come back up that ramp Mm -hmm. I had like a rope and a pulley and a truck to like help her move Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, because especially for victims who are otherwise very independent and strong and strong-willed, sometimes it can be very difficult to admit to themselves that they are in that sort of trouble. Yep. And, you know, when it comes down to it, like, no matter what I'm watching from the outside, I'm not actually in the relationship. Yeah. They're the ones that are in the relationship. Yeah. And I'm not God and I'm not their parent. And yeah. so, you know, I feel like we all hate to see our friends get hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's never your fault if someone, like, 
deliberately hurts you. Mm. But I feel like, you know, there's things that you can be empowered to do to like try and prevent that hurt or get away from that hurt or whatever. And I am here to support that. You know what I mean? Like, let's go. What are you going to do? But I can't rescue anyone from their own relationship. Like nobody could rescue me from mine. And as annoyed as I was with the people that was like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? As annoyed as I was at the end of the day, I wasn't mad at them because ultimately it was my relationship to do something about. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think there, there is definitely that part because ultimately you have to be the one who's willing to walk out of it. Um, Yes. There are people who are in relationships that are abusive and they know it's abusive, but they want to stick around and work on it rather than leave. And again, that's their choice. At the same time, like you, I think as a friend, we want to be available and also be able to offer a helping hand in the sense of helping to nurture their strength. Yep, Um, exactly. Yeah. And it's so difficult to tell, right, where exactly, because it's so murky. You don't know exactly where in that murkiness is the right spot. Nobody, it's not like a stage. Nobody marks it for you. Exactly. (laughs) And I know from my own, like, situations throughout my life, Sometimes things look like abuse from the outside, but they're not necessarily. Or Mm -hmm. sometimes things don't look like abuse from the outside, and they totally are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you're not on the inside, you don't. You only know what a person tells you. Mm. Like I know that you know when I was younger, especially like there were dramatic women in our circle Mm. that would be like dramatic about things, and you know, sort of exaggerate an argument into like, ah, you abuse me. And when really you like get the actual facts, Mm. it was just an argument. (laughs) You know what I mean? He screamed at her, but she like went all dramatic and then came to the friends and was crying and was like, ah, and it's like, no, actually you're just mad because you didn't like what he said. (laughs) He didn't Mm. agree and you didn't like it and voices were raised and now all of a sudden you're a victim. It's like, well, no, actually, you're not actually a victim. You're just upset you didn't get the outcome you wanted and you want us all to be on your side. And you know what I mean? So it is. It's hard to tell. And then, you know, I've known people who I found out later were abused that totally like masked that, Mm. you know, and you find out later and you're like, what the hell? He did what? He said what? How come you didn't say anything? And you don't know. Like, you only know what you're presented at. Yeah, so. I, I think it's important to uphold the other person's standards as well. For yep. me, like, you know, if they feel like whoever uh, they're interacting with is abusing them, then I think one of our things is to ask whether or not they want help to leave, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not our relationship. So maybe we would be okay with certain things that they're not okay with. And I think that's important. At the same time, I've also had similar experiences where someone tells me or tells us, a group of people, 
somebody did something to them. And then in private, they admitted to other parts that they did not reveal. Right. That was, exactly. That was a, a fuller picture of what was going on. Uh, oh, my God. And you get mad on their behalf. And you're like, where's he at? I want to cut him. And then you find out the real deal. You're like, oh, for real, girl? Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so so this this is this is a quandary, right? Because uh, you want to be there for your friend. I, I think I think that is also a sort of this boundary thing between us and our friends. Is like uh-huh. if we have a friend who's trying to get us to fight their fights, then it's a troubling sign. At the same time. Ah. There are also friends who come to us and just be like, this happened. I'm trying to understand it because this is uh-huh. weird. I'm trying to get a, a calibration of sorts. Uh-huh. And I, d- I don't know if we're always giving, I don't want to say the correct calibration because, again, each of us has a different calibration. So... Yeah, so I'm just like, it is difficult. At the same time, I think within that narrow boundary of difficulty, we can still be at least considerate and we can do what we can to be there. If if only to just say, are you okay? You seem upset. (laughs) Right. Do you want to talk about it? I'm here if you want to talk about it. I also encourage my friends, which nobody really doesn't do that anymore. But when I was younger, like I try to encourage my girlfriends. As women, we t- we tend to complain about bad things, and then we don't necessarily elaborate on good things, right? Hmm. So I experienced a lot of times with my friends. They'd be like, he did this and he did that. And he said this thing and I'm so tired of him. I'm, I'm sick of him. I'm tired of him. Da, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And then you don't talk to him for a while. And then, you, so, you know, you built up this hostility. You're like, yeah, he's abusing my friend. And then you don't talk to him for a while. And then things like work themselves out and it's good for, you know what I mean? Because we mm-hmm. all go through ups and downs. They don't never elaborate on that. So then you're like, well, how are y'all? How are things? And they're like, oh, it's good. And that's it. <laughs> so they, you sort of form this biased perception of their relationship because all you hear about in detail is the argument or the disagreement or, you know, the offense. But when the parts that are good, they don't say like, oh, yeah, we worked out the thing and he, he put the trash out like three weeks in a row or, oh, yeah, you know, he... he <laughs> You know, we, we had a discussion about that and everything. You know, you don't hear about that part because they don't need to vent about that part. They just live in that part. So they're just like, they just happy and live in that part. And then the next time something goes down, they're like, I can't believe him. He called me up. And da, 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 da. So that's all you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, there it's is hard that. to be really like objectively supportive because now they've told you so much dumb stuff about them that that's all you feel. So then they get back together with them, and you're like, how can you be with that asshole? And they're like, but he's, he's not an asshole. Why do you think he's an asshole? I don't understand. Like, he's, he's fine. You're like, because that's all you told me. 
Yeah. 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 I, I feel like depending on the person as well. I think different people will have different experiences. Personally, I've been socialized to not bother people. So I, unless I'm in a dire situation, I don't go bother people. And I, I think that's true of, again, some people who consider themselves strong, independent, and until they're at the moment at their wit's end where they feel like, okay, I really can't deal with this by myself. They don't go find friends and talk about it and of course there are people over dramatic people there are i mean and again it's, it's sort of like a boundary thing as well between friends as well as between like partnerships or partners i am um, <laughs> i'm i'm working on this because it's not always the best thing but i've for years of my life I was the type of person that would tell you what happened, but not what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I go through whatever traumatic, difficult experience all by myself and limp through it and make it out the other side and then tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, I was about to get kicked out of my apartment last week because they totally shorted my check and weren't going to pay me. And so, but it's cool because, you know, I managed to like, get a one-day job and scrape up some stuff and I had to work, walk four hours and blah, blah, blah. But then it happened. So <laughs> that's what happened. Instead of like, hey, I'm having a hard time. Can you help me out? Mm -hmm. I'd basically be like, I'm having a hard time. I got to work this out for myself. And then once the hard time was over, I'd call you up and be like, hey, I'm Jen. <laughs> Guess what happened? I almost died, but then I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think that... And then I, you're like, you know, why didn't you call me? I could have, like, drove and got you. Like, oh, it's okay. I worked it out. But, woo! <laughs> yeah. And, I, again, I think that comes back to, like, or what sort of primary relationships, right? What we're, we've okay. been habituated to deal with to um, when we think we can't count on people. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Like, and then it's like, what's the point? Why complain about it? Because that's just waste of time that I could be using to deal with this problem. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's so, it's just incredibly, it, it is, it is kind of sad. At the same time, is is a habit that's hard to break as well. Yeah, it's taken me many years and really helpful friends and uh, an actual like functioning relationship to really get to the point of like being able to you know before things get dire be like hey things aren't dire yet you want to help me out you know what I mean yeah I had a life coach over the summer hmm. and we talked about like how just because you have a to high tolerance for pain Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you should tolerate a lot of pain. Right, yeah. Like a lot of times I think we go through things because we can't. You know, you take on, you're like, I can, I can deal with this. I'll just deal with this. But it doesn't mean that you didn't get cut and you didn't bleed. It just means that you have a higher tolerance for pain, but you're still damaged from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she kind of forced me to like look at that and be like, you know, you don't really have to take all that. You could not take all that actually <laughs> yeah 
just because you have a capacity for it doesn't mean you have to like do that. So, yeah. And I've encountered people who, again, it's like they are taught to be independent. They're taught not to show any weakness because if they were to show weakness, they might actually face danger. In, in showing- so I was told growing up, the world will swallow you up if you show weakness. So, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when you try to help those people, they make you feel like you're an asshole for trying to help. Like, I've also spoken with um, therapists about, like, training to take compliments, for instance, right? Because in taking compliments, you're teaching people that it's okay to compliment you. One of the things I'm trying to practice is, like, giving compliments as well to, like, be as vocal in the positives as well as the negatives. And I've tried to compliment those people that, as I described, who are taught either via their experience or via actual, you know, verbally, that they are just strong no matter what. Like, complimenting them, they will make you feel like crap for complimenting them. And I was just like, but I'm trying to compliment you. <laughs> it is such a, such a weird thing when you come across that. A defense mechanism people don't know how to take compliments yeah i have um i've learned from a couple of arrogant boyfriends and also like what it's helped me to to really accept compliments is separating myself from the thing mm-hmm. like i don't do that so much anymore but i used to have a hard time really feeling comfortable with compliments but most of the time when people compliment you it isn't necessarily about anything you have control over. So you didn't do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, like, people would be like, you know, oh, you have really pretty eyes. And I'd say, my mother thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to do with that, but, you know. Right, right. I'm sure she would really love if you said that. And that trained me into being able to, like, you know what I mean? And right. then, you know, obviously, sometimes you just know you're fly. And people go, oh, you look fly. You're like, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I totally agree with that sentiment. I do look fly. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, like, you know, jumping outside of yourself and really, like, seeing yourself as other people do. Mm-hmm. Because there are times when you just totally look fly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I, I kind of walked out the house knowing that. I'm glad you noticed, too. <laughs> yeah. Or, or when you do something spectacular, right? And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you nail it. You're like, I yeah. know, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's really interesting when I encounter people that just cannot take compliments. Anything that centers them because they're so used to be not in the center at all, they can't deal with it somehow. They feel that it is like they're being narcissistic, even though they're not. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the explanations are. Sometimes I'm just like, just complimenting you, man. Just take it. Don't make me feel like shit for complimenting you. I think part of it, like, I think a lot of it, you know, comes back to what I was talking about before: perspective. Mm. Um, like, one thing that this pandemic has really 
sort of made all of us look at ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you're spending time with yourself now because you can't go see nobody. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have all the noise. Like there's not the distractions that keep us from really looking at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like back back in the olden times in real life, <laughs> everyone was really, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to look at yourself. Yeah. You, you just, you know, you, you may glance in the mirror to make sure like everything is in place, but then you're getting on a bark and looking at the people and go to work and you look at other people, come home from work and you look at other people and you binge watch something and you call your girlfriends and you might go out and you got a boyfriend, and you got some kids and you got a life. Like you have all these things mm-hmm. and they're all outward looking things that you yeah. have to do. Yeah. Pandemic put all of us at home, a lot of us by ourselves and there's no one else there but you. So you're hanging out with yourself. There's only so much Zoom and phone calls you can do, and then you're right back with yourself. Yeah. And you're not going anywhere. There's no distractions. And so you have to look at yourself. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of people. I grew up an only child. Mm. And so I honestly have not really had a problem <laughs> with like people getting antsy and they're like, I need to do stuff. I need distractions. I grew up with just myself as company. So when the pandemic hit and they were like, oh, you're going to have to stay home with yourself. I was like, wonderful. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> if you need me, I'll be at the house hanging out with my favorite person. <laughs> it's all good. And the only children that I know didn't have a problem. They were just like, word, we at the house now? Awesome. That works. <laughs> but for a lot of people, you know what I mean? Yeah, they really yeah. have a hard time looking at their selves and they don't like it and you know there's that cliche thing that people tell you at the end of a relationship or a job it's just like oh well maybe you need to spend time by yourself and get to know you yes yes that'll be pretty well so when the pandemic hit and we had to be home I was like oh hello old friend (laughs) we haven't had a time to hang out with each other in a while let's do that and it was fine and I dove into myself Mm. um People who, you know, I find that people who really have a hard time taking compliments, they also have a really hard time just looking at themselves and appreciating themselves. Mm-hmm. And so when another person tells you something that points out something about you, well, yeah, you feel self-conscious and kind of uncomfortable because you're not comfortable looking at that. You haven't come to appreciate that about yourself. So if someone else points it out, they appreciate it. That's just embarrassing. And you don't, you know what I mean? It's just like, mm, you're pointing something out on me. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, then they'll, act, they'll act like somehow you just said something horrible about them. <laughs> like... Exactly. They have a bad reaction to it because they don't, they've spent all this time avoiding looking at themselves and you're just like I see you they're like I didn't plan that (laughs) why are you seeing me that's not what I want (laughs) right right I mean in the meantime they want to be seen obviously I mean that's why they do these things to be seen whether or not deliberately or you know doing something well right it's they don't want you to acknowledge that they're being seen they just want to be seen yeah I mean that's that's just it because they're so not used to hearing positive feedback for something a good. A lot of people aren't, that. yeah. Yeah, and yep. it's, it's kind of painful to see. 
especially if you know they're coming from like abusive backgrounds, because you know where that comes from. You know, to me, it's just very tragic. You you know that they're going to struggle for a while yet. I'm really glad that you're in a much better relationship now. And and do you have any tips for us? Because you know, it's not. I I think it's it's um you know it's practice, right? But looking back, do you think there's any tangible steps that you would recommend to people? I mean, you know, I'm no expert. <laughs> Um, at all. What I have learned is, like, honest communication is key. And, like, that's one of them cliche things, right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Ruth or relationships experts say, they're like, communication is communication. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the kind of communication, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I grew up kind of ignored. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in the South. Mm -hmm. And Children aren't necessarily acknowledged very healthily in the South. Mm. Um, or at least, yeah, I was going to say at least when I was growing up, but I think it's still the case because the South is very slow to, like, develop. Um, where, you know, you've heard that expression, children are seen and not heard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're seen and not heard. No one asks you how you feel about anything. Mm. And so when your feelings are neglected as a child. When you don't learn how to express your feelings as a child, mm. I know for me, I grew up as an adult who did not know how to express my feelings. Mm. I knew how to express my thoughts, and so I would translate my feelings into thoughts and express those. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, really expressing how I actually felt, I didn't even really know how to articulate it. Mm. Part of it was being in a relationship with someone who was like, no, but how do you feel? Tell me how you feel. And I'm like, I don't know. I have to figure it out so I can tell you. And it made me like really figure it out. You know what I mean? But that's the type of communication that's really important in a relationship. You have to express how you actually feel. And, you know, whether it's good or bad, like it's still hard for me because especially when you like know you know the effects of that communication when you know you're going to make somebody mad or you're going to hurt their feelings or you're going to expose a part of yourself that makes you feel uncomfortable right. it's really hard but yeah. that's the only way to really be intimate with someone yeah yeah there is. when it comes down to it that's what we're made out of we're all made of flesh and feelings that's it <laughs> that's <laughs> what you got and you can share your flesh, and that's cool. That's the easy part. But if you don't share your feelings, you're not really intimate at all. And mm -hmm. that's when stuff builds up, like resentments and, you know, all of that. And then you end up like me and uh, very resigned to a relationship I didn't want because, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't really, exp you know, I feel like if I had, really said what I really felt and done and been true to those feelings, mm. I wouldn't have suffered as long as I did. Well, and there's the expressing your feelings, right? There's also the, when you do express your feelings, you also get to find out whether that person is the sort of person who would, if nothing else, at least 
take the time to listen, genuinely listen. And I think, like, one of the positive effects of expressing your feelings is not only just, you know, getting to know how you feel about something and expressing that to someone else, but also getting to know whether that particular person is one who cares about your feelings. And then you can determine whether or not they're worth your time and investing your feelings in. I think that's the part of listening, too. Yeah. Like, I think listening has a couple of layers. And one of the layers is definitely, like, hearing the person and Mm -hmm. what they're saying to you. And the other part of listening is hearing the person and what they're saying to you about themselves Mm -hmm. without saying it. Yeah. Yeah, and also, so. like, the one big thing that I've learned mm. is relationships are not all, one size fits all. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us, especially girls, we grew up with fairy tales. <laughs> and there's this very specific trajectory with all fairy tales. You know, <laughs> you're the damsel in distress or whatever in a tower or a glass case or being held prisoner by some troll and the handsome prince or the handsome hunter or the handsome knight swoops in and they save you and everything is happily ever after. Right. Right. And so we grow up with that in our heads. Like as much as like, you know, you you put down Cinderella and Snow White when you're like eight years old, but we spend our whole lives looking for the knight or the prince or the hunter that's going to save us from our tower of loneliness or from the troll or from our life come save the day, and then everything is going to be happily ever after. <laughs> and that is utterly unrealistic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. human beings are human beings, and they get mad, and they get ugly, and, you know, they say some shit they don't mean, and they slam a door, and they come in and try to save the day, and it doesn't work out, or they're not around, and you save your own day, and... Those are just the imperfections of life, but that doesn't necessarily completely dismiss a good-ass relationship with someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All relationships are different. Like, they're totally different. And yeah. you find the one you need. Yeah, I think exactly. if we were all way more specific about, like, like simultaneously more open-minded and more specific about what it is we want and need, we'd have what we want and need. Yeah, and and also train ourselves out of our bad habits, right? And and just say, okay, you know what? Actually, I'm not going to deal with your BS. Nope, done, goodbye. The leaving thing is good. Just like (laughs) once we've, you know, adding the part where we do give the people a chance, you know, tell them how we feel, find out that they're worth staying for or find out they're not worth worth staying for and then leaving and I think all of those parts are important and we need to like exercise or use all of these kind of tools in our toolbox or get more tools into our toolbox (laughs) and honestly I think that that works across the board with all kinds of relationships like not even just romantic relationships we're in such a weird time right now post-Trump with all the the latent racism that was always there bubbling up to the surface and people splitting with their like whole ass family over (laughs) political views and, you know, 
the revelations people are having about people that they loved and thought were intelligent that suddenly turned out to have racist tendencies or, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's been a time that we've been living in. And the one thing that I feel like people aren't doing, like, cause the leaving thing is cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I myself, even though I've mastered that skill, like I misused it for years Mm -hmm. because I didn't stick around to even see if anything could be different. I didn't express my feelings or say anything to the, like, there were people I'm sure probably didn't know why I left. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I'd look at the situation and be like, oh, I don't really like that. I'm out. I necessarily tell people. I just ghost them and be out. Mm-hmm. And and I know I left a few people wondering, like, what the hell happened? She just left, disappeared, didn't say why. Just in regular situations, like with your friends and your family and your loved ones that you don't agree with or, you know, you have some negative startling revelations with, like, communicate, like, talk to people, give people a chance to, like, change. Because mm-hmm. really, the only way we change is through love. Like, that's how we change. You know what I mean? Racists don't give a shit about us. They don't love us. We can say whatever about, you should stop being racist and it's not cool or whatever. And they're like, blah, blah. I don't know you. I don't care. Right. And they're not not going to find out. And they're not going to find out. But if you say to your racist grandma, you can't see the kids no more if you keep saying the N-word. I bet you she'll stop saying the N-word and she'll think about why. You know what I mean? Like, we cut people off so quick and we're so quick to disengage over, like, I don't agree with that or this isn't going the way I want it to. And we just disengage. And that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is that disengagement doesn't help anything. It doesn't help you develop as a person. It doesn't help them understand where you're coming from or for them to change. Like, it doesn't help anything. Yeah, yeah. We need to stay engaged. And, you know, if that means that, like, you know, I run into some racist out and, you know, they disagree, and that maybe that means I stand and talk to them instead of just giving them a finger and walking away. Yeah, I think it... You know what I mean? Yeah, and I I agree with that. And I think, again, just like you said about relationships, it depends, right? If there are races... uh, toting a knife or gun or whatever that or, well, or obviously that, yeah. right? self-care is yeah <laughs> yeah so there are there are times obviously when leaving is absolutely the right thing to do even if you're in a situation where you feel like emotionally you just can't handle it at the moment you can leave but you know like maybe let them know that you'll come back the, the people who are worth you know telling this to that you'll come back that at that moment you need it your self-care you need that time alone and and uh, again that is also an opportunity to find out whether or not that person is worth your while because if they say i don't give a whatever what you're feeling you're going to have to acknowledge what i'm doing right now and here and blah 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 then you know they're not worth that time and i i just like to say to you like you know imogen I don't give trigger warnings ever. Mm. I know it's a thing and I respect people who do that. And I don't necessarily talk about heinous shit. Like I'm just don't, (laughs) it's not the nature of my writing or my communication. Mm. But you know, the reason I don't 
necessarily give trigger warning. It's just because life kind of comes at you fast. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not trying to come at anybody in an offensive manner, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of times people avoid, you know, myself included, like people avoid conflict or confrontation because they don't want to feel uncomfortable. And I totally get that. But the only way to really work things out sometimes, often, is to have difficult conversations. That's part of why racism hasn't been dealt with to this point, is because people don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. We want to feel good. So we glaze over stuff and we don't talk about stuff. And that's why, like, you know, the Republican policy is basically like, well, if you don't talk about it, it'll go away. But it doesn't. Right. And sometimes you really have to just pull the ugly up and confront it and be like, all right, (laughs) this feels shitty, but we're going to have this conversation. (laughs) And that's just how it's going to be. I have avoided way too many productive relationship conversations. Because I knew they were going to be mad at me Mm. or I knew that I was going to feel uncomfortable. And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't really feel like feeling uncomfortable and anxious. So I'm just not going to have this conversation. (laughs) And then I felt even worse later because nothing was solved. It was just still right there. It doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a difficult practice, but what I'm trying to practice in my life today is just basically like going into the difficult conversation mm-hmm. and knowing, yes, this is going to suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to love this. But what I found is once I get past that discomfort, it's so much better. Yeah. It's so much better after that. Like if you can just get through that difficult, you know, I did the wrong thing or this really makes me feel bad or this isn't really cool. Let's talk about it. And once you get past the initial discomfort and you're actually having the conversation and you talk the thing out, it's so much better. Yeah, I I think so too. Again, it's obviously we all have to, it's not a one-sided conversation, right? We can't, cannot have a one-sided conversation. So even if you're willing to, or I'm willing to, but we're, we're trying to converse with somebody who is not willing to, or who is completely disrespectful, then that conversation cannot be had. But it, what is important is that we attempt at least to, to try to have that conversation. And, and, and that we be brave. Yeah. Because anger is ugly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be abusive, but, you know, simply yelling or you know, strong words isn't necessarily abusive. Like, we get to be mad. We get to be upset about things. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the things I think that has stopped a lot of the racism conversations that I've had is that, you know, black people get real emotional about it. And not necessarily disrespectful, but definitely, like, there's emotion involved. It's really hard for us to have an objective conversation about racism because we've been personally affected. Yeah. And people have died. And it's really hard to just sit there and be like, well, you know, racism, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a passionate subject for us. Right. And I've been in a few 
Facebook debates where people are just like, oh, well, you're getting all emotional. It's like, yeah, because it's an emotionally charged subject. Right. I'm not disrespecting you. I'm not calling you names. I'm not threatening you. So let's have this conversation. Yeah, I'm mad about it. Right. I'm going to express that anger. Yeah. And I get to do that. And I feel like, you know, even from both sides, like we have to be brave and be like, okay, you're angry. Mm-hmm. That causes me some anxiety, but you get to be angry. Yeah. And you're not hurting me. You're not threatening me. You're just mad. <laughs> right, right. So, exactly. I mean, when when you're get, when you're having a conversation that as you said, you know, that has involves pain that you've personally experienced, it's very difficult to divorce yourself from those emotions. And again, feeling those emotions itself is not a bad thing. Oh. <laughs> to to somehow always expect people to have just these dispassionate, you know, objective, and what the heck is objective anyway, conversations right. is just right. ridiculous, right? Especially when they don't hold themselves to the same standard. Um, right. In any case, before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us if you have any recommendations since you are in this world of, you know, open mics or slams that people should go to attend and also how people can uh, follow you online. Well, um, so I host the Nomadic Press virtual open mic every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific time Mm -hmm. on Zoom. You can find it at the Nomadic Press page on Facebook. Um, We've been going for over a year now, ever since the pandemic, every week. Nice. Sign up, three minutes, 30 poets. It's a long night, but it's really, really good poetry. And then Speaking Ashaloto, Mm -hmm. or Speaking Ashalote, happens every third Thursday. That's also a Nomadic Press event, and it is a bilingual open mic. Nice. And then every third Tuesday is Get Lit which is also a nomadic press event and it's basically all new work. It's an invitational open mic of all new work, like stuff that's never been read before. And that's incredible work as well. Cool. And (laughs) which is another event happens every fourth Saturday of the month. That is not a nomadic press event, but that is also a bilingual open mic. That's really, really good. Sorry, and I didn't catch that. La Palabra? La Palabra Musical. Oh, cool. That's actually a really good open mic as well. They have music as well as poetry, and it's a bilingual open mic. You can find me at nazila.com, which is my website. Nice. Also, on Facebook, if you just search my name, Nazila Jameson. And I am on Instagram as supernaz underscore your underscore super friend (laughs) cool very very nice thank you so much for all these recommendations and i really really appreciate you spending the time here with me to talk about relationships all manner of things we've talked about all manner of things (laughs) so thank you again really appreciate it this was lovely thank you for having me good good i'm really glad to hear that
You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.